first of all, I was going to say my avid attention-seeking behaviour is what got me into um, performance <laughs> and music. But my, I was raised on Dolly Parton and Don McLean, Kirsty McCall, Peter, Paul and Mary. So like old school, quite traditional folk music, I would say, of its era. So that was a big thing, like in the back of my mum's car. She used to listen to a lot of punk music too. And, and when did you start making your own music? I started writing songs when I was 11. Um, oh. and they, yeah, they were pretty dark. So we play, I look back and I'm a bit like, oh. <laughs> and and were, you just, were you just doing it for fun at that stage? Or, or, or did you sort of, had you been inspired to think, maybe I want to do this? Um, I've always just done it for fun. I, and like, even still, like I never, never find myself in a position where somebody from the label or management is saying, we need you to write this song now where we don't have any tracks or something. It's never, never been like that. It's always just been something that I've done. And, and at what stage did you, did you kind of, you know, what would you describe as, as your lucky break in terms of um, being able to do this? Was, was it, was it um, on the X Factor? I would say, well, I was touring before that, to be honest with you. I, was, I, I, I had quite a, like I was 19 so like for a 19 year old I was actually making quite a lot of waves like I was well a regular support act at Dingwalls in Camden so I was getting a lot of traction um and really I was just playing in front of everyone but being brought up in the north no one really tells you as a musician that actually you probably need to be in London to have the right people see you but I think it's all about fan power actually at the end of the day and you only achieve that by getting it in everyone's face so it's done done me favors yeah for sure um and and so was it more you know you would attribute your your kind of like rise and your success more more oh, to yeah. the constant touring and, and and word of mouth and stuff i, w I would because there is an initial a massive mis initial catapult of like fa overnight fame and uh, notoriety but with that stuff doesn't come uh, well the rest of the music industry like people go on talent shows and they are up they are on everybody's the tip of everyone's tongue for five minutes and then the next thing you never see them again and I often think that's because there's no there's no like journey to playing pubs and clubs is about perseverance you have to play to five people who are having a pint and don't care about what you're doing that's part of music and gaining your career and and your like skill set and your craft if you don't do that and you haven't persevered you go on those shows and you think you've you've got it all but actually you don't have the skill set to maintain that and it drops away from you and so yeah actually effectively i i kind of left that space and just started touring again, and uh, I've been I've been touring consistently for nearly a decade now. And, and at the start, was it you know literally playing to five people in a pub and doing that type of thing, you know, and, and really when, to persevere and show resilience? When I came off the show, I was asked if I wanted to do the X Factor tour, where they paid they were doing an arena tour with all of the uh, the acts from that year, and paying them five hundred quid a show, and uh, I was just like, that's you're kind of done with that. Like there's no more, 
there's no more to, that's like beating a dead horse kind of thing it's like going on the x-factor tour go and play to a load of people that watched you on the tv anyway and so we went on tour and we played um i'm trying to think of an example of the size of venues like the globe in cardiff um like 100 caps 150 caps we did like a big long run of them and then the next thing we did was 200 caps and the next one was 300 and then it was 600 and then it was 1200 and then the the last show headline set of tour we did was about like three thousand three and a half thousand each night that, that's amazing to have worked your way up like that and and a very good decision to not go because how long would you have even got to to sing on the X Factor tour, how many people were going to be brought out there? I have no idea. Well, there would have been 12 contestants, I think. All right, okay. It's just not something that I would have been interested in doing. Um, and, you know, high production things, high value, high production is not what my shows are about, really. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, your music is more authentic than that. I mean, you know, there are obviously some talented, talented people on the X side. It, did, it seems like you just used it as like almost like a bit of press and opportunity to get on TV, but it wasn't like, it's not like you're an X Factor, a product of the X Factor in any way, really. Um, no. You had I'm, your own career before and you built your own career after. I, I played my own songs on there and I was the first person yeah. to have done that. And like, I thought I would be the one to like change, you know, because I lost significant amount of credibility that I never really got back or have worked really hard to get back like I never ever thought I'd be able to play Glastonbury I never thought that that was going to be a thing and this year would have been my third year but it was about that like persistence and so like I went on there thought I was going to change it didn't people still label me an x-factor contestant and I was like well I went on there I didn't even sign to Psycho I signed to Columbia because Columbia's Columbia like, I don't know. It's a it's a weird uh, it's a weird experience, and I suppose I'm a bit of an anomaly in that sense. Is that like I border between playing these like very back of a van shows to tour bus shows to uh, being on Lorraine and being on the cover of like Closer magazine. It's a bit of an anomaly, really. Yeah, but I guess, you know, doing that type of stuff is very, very important to build your fan base. And it seems like you've definitely got your um, wits about you in terms of knowing what needs to be done in an extremely competitive industry. I mean, turning more to the songwriting side of things, like, is it different every time that you write a song? Um, is your pro or, or do you have a kind of set process for doing it? It's traditionally would just be an idea, like a a resolve idea like the diamond part of the song so it comes as like um the phrase that will be the defining part of the chorus or something and then build from there but there's not really a there's not a set of checklists when i write a song it kind of just builds itself to be honest yeah so it's something that comes very naturally to you what what, yeah. what prompted you to first try when you were 11 to be honest with you, I think it was my brother is very good at everything and including guitar and songwriting actually. And so I just, I was like, I want to do everything that he does. And I just got into it from there. I think it was my devout com competitiveness that got me into writing songs. <laughs> and do you, a lot of your songs seem like they're written about personal experiences. Is, 
do, do you ever write not about personal experiences or, or, or at least something that relates in some way to, to, to you? Yeah, a lot of them sound like they are personal experience, but a lot of them are drawn down from somebody else's personal experience, but written in the first person. Some of the songs that are in third person are like kind of fabricated, but semi-real. Semi it's hard, actually. They're, in a way, some of them are kind of like lucidly real and not real and and you've just brought out a song called sober um and and yeah. have you been been sober now for over a year yeah 15 months i think or 16 what 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 made you want to get sober i'm a fellow teetotaler uh, i've been oh, sober for three years now it's pretty dry three years yes i have issues moderating Food, I have issues moderating alcohol. I have issues moderating relationships, emotion. And some, sometimes my career, like, you know, I, I go 100 miles per hour and it's all I think about. And I'm actually trying to moderate different areas of my life so that I can be a more effective human being. Yeah, so do you find that you get addicted to things when you're in a certain flow? So that's interesting. So like, say you're, say you're working... And do you just kind of think, God, I really, you know, I'm so fired up. Like, I just want to continue working until, you know, until I can't. Yeah, yep. When I'm touring, I'll, I, will I will literally physically exhaust myself. And, and at the same time, I'm always trying to be, not frugal, but I'm always trying to be um, responsible. So, like, if I'm touring America and I'm touring with my keys player, I'll be like, right, we'll rent a car. I'll drive. Don't worry. And so, like, I'll be traveling completely cross-country in America in a family carrier, getting in bed at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning because the traveling is so long, waking up early to drive some more, playing a show, doing the same thing for, like, a month. And I, I do, I tend to exhaust myself. And how, how many times have you done that in America? I mean, obviously, that, you know, that's to make sure that you don't, that you can serve your budget. Was yeah. that a self-funded experience in America? Yeah, everything I do is self-funded. Um, even my records are self-funded. I own the masters of all but one uh, oh. of my albums. So, for example, this album is about, what, I'm probably up to about £45,000 worth of album now for this one. But it, it, everything is always self-funded, so I'm always trying to find an efficient way to control those things. Um, America, yeah, every single time I go, which is what, twice a year and nobody this is the weird thing about the music industry is like you see these people fly up out of nowhere and you're like who is this person like i love the pop music they're amazing songs let me have a google who wrote them you see who've, who's written them and you think wow like that's that's a that's a high caliber song that right there and then there's this all this money pumped into it and then all of a sudden it just disappears and and it's a real shame because that isn't actually how it works. This like money that comes out of nowhere. If nobody cares about that money or where it goes, in turn, they don't really care about the project. So I feel like when it's my money that's on the line or, you know, my whole team, they get paid a portion of what I get paid. So we're like, we're on it. We're always trying to be efficient and we care as much as we can. Not in the just a profitable sense, but that also helps. I mean, so how? But how do you, how do you incentivize your team? Because I mean, it's 
there are a lot of rabbit holes that artists can get can get kind of trapped in you know it, in the sense that many people have been ripped off in the music industry how do you make sure that your team are, are, are really rooting for you and, and you, you you just have to find somebody that cares you will you will always be the person who cares the most about your career that's of course the same across any genre or industry but all you you just have to find somebody who is 99% as invested in you and your success and it's it's actually success that they should be incent, incentivized by it shouldn't be a monetary thing and often money and success go hand in hand so if people are looking for you to do well and they're rooting for you hopefully that means that everybody will end up square yeah yeah i mean that that's the right way of looking at it um in, in terms of when you first started you know were you were you doing everything for yourself were you you know, not only being being the artist, which is an incredible amount of hard work, and writing your own songs. You know, not not many artists um, making successful pop music these days write their own songs. In fact, most of most of the songs in the top forty have um, quite a large number of writers, like five or or, or more, um, in many cases. So, so not only were you doing all of that, but were you also doing you know, all of your own marketing and like booking your own shows and doing all of that type of stuff. How did you find the energy? So first, first of all, at an acoustic night when I was like 12, I met a guy called Chris Rockcliffe, who was just a guy who ran an acoustic night. And he was like, I love this kid. And he got me my first show when I was 12 at Crouch Tramway Festival, which is not a thing, but it's like a museum with trams at. They have a festival. Um, and he took me to High Peak Radio and had me sort of just go and play for those guys. And then after that, through High Peak Radio, I met a DJ on there called Ben, who actually stayed with me up until about two years ago, three years ago in my career, at which point we got to a fork in the road where my career was sort of advancing too much for him to kind of keep up with, um, with his field of knowledge, and we parted ways there. But that's kind of how you kind of just... You find people. That's that's exactly what I was just saying, actually. And and I did it without even noticing. I found people who were just as passionate about my project for their own. They they wanted to support it for their own success and and their own feeling of growth. And and so I've just I bounce with people like that. And every single person in my team is invested in that way. We don't. We just don't work with people that aren't. And how big's your team now? So when we tour, there's my without support acts. There's probably twelve of us on the tour bus. That's just like the a production team. And then there's a three in the management. We've got the whole team at Cooking Vinyl, who's the label, and there's probably fifteen there. We've got social media managers, content managers merchandise manager so that's another four people the team is huge and and it's kind of like i'm ronald mcdonald like you know i've i barely ever make the hamburgers <laughs> they're doing all the hard work i'm just standing at the front looking like a clown <laughs> and uh, i mean when you assemble a team like that like in terms of your management of that how much time do you 
do you have to spend dealing with stuff like that versus making your own music? Um, well, the thing I do least is make my own music. Um, that, that's like, that's the, 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 probably the 5% of my time mark. Not that last night, I mean, I'm writing a Christmas song kind of set me in my head and last night it was just cycling round and around and around for hours if that counts as songwriting then yeah that takes quite a lot of my time but <laughs> most of the time is talking about social media content filming um pr tv podcast radio that sort of thing and and does that ever compromise your love of music do you do you ever do you get to spend as much time as you'd want listening to music and enjoying music and, and finding that kind of love for it that, that you know led you to want to pursue it in the first place well there was a brief period of time where i could only listen to talk radio because i was all musicked out like when i was signed to columbia it was just it was like i came off the x factor and then back into it it was very commercially driven and hard hard work and then recently i sort of discovered i'm a bit of a fitness enthusiast and uh i to me music is that i can't I've, I've left my headphones at home before and if i don't have my headphones i'm not working out like i have to listen to music and that's been a real recycle of the love that i have for music has been through fitness wow and so 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 do you find do you find working out with music on easier then yeah, you, oh yeah. Sometimes, what 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 type of stuff do you do in the gym? Do you mainly do cardio or do you do weights as well? Oh, I do CrossFit. I do spin. I do um, strength and conditioning, running, everything. Okay. But do you always have music on? Always, yeah. I, I mean, CrossFit play music anyway, and and definitely is very music driven. But when it's just me, I listen to Bolly a lot of Bollywood, the Bollywood Top One Hundred. Um, there's actually a song on my new album that is inspired by a Bollywood song called Money Bank. Just, um, there's an amazing workout playlist called Bollywood Workout on Spotify. And that to me, I, there's some kind of joy that I get from that kind of music that I can't even explain. Um, but yeah, I listen to music from the noughties. I listen to club music. I listen to classical music. I don't know. I just so when, when, about it. when you're doing fitness stuff, like, could you ever listen to? Does it always have to be quite upbeat though? Is that the only, or could you easily listen to like a ballad whilst you were trying to, you know? I could listen to a ballad. It depends. If I was running a half marathon, there's actually miles and kilometers in the middle of that 13 miles or 22 kilometers where you need to pace yourself so i'll i bring it back with sort of slower music in the middle of a playlist and then when i know that i need to exert a little bit more energy like the bpm goes up a bit yeah that's that that's interesting that you find it okay to work out with music because i was kind of thinking that that could be a good time to to get like more listening opportunities in because it's really difficult in modern well i guess older life as you get older to just find the same time that you did when you were younger and i mean you sound like you're unbelievably busy um what's it been like with a big team in the music industry making records um is you know it's difficult to recoup your costs on on albums one of the main ways of doing it would be through touring 
Um, so how, cha how challenging, you know, as, as a businesswoman, has, has this been for you? Um, well, and how optimistic are you for the future with touring? I'm really optimistic for the future of touring. I'm in, I'm in a really lucky situation where if you, took, if you looked at the amount of records that I sold, you would expect me to play a lot smaller shows than I do. So like in the UK last year, we did something near 40,000 tickets just here. And so I'm really lucky that people want to come to the shows. And, and in that process of, you know, doubling the size of the show, doubling the size of the show, we've done it that way. And we have consistent people that come back every time. Um, luckily, I'm not on a 360 deal or anything like that. My album, my, my costs for my and my profit from my tour is directly my money. Um, and so the recuperability obviously has helped with people. It's a, the, the, the tour so it's, it's supporting the album. But for the last two records, and this record has succeeded the amount of pre-orders that we had on the last two records, and I've still got five months to go. Um, wow. uh, the last two records I recouped in around six months, so I, I, I'm hoping... It'll be a matter of months with this one. And is that through through physical copies or through streaming? We sell like a considerable amount of physical copies. I think in 72 hours, we've done 1,700 physical copies. When we, or 48 hours, it's 48 hours, we've done 1,700 physical copies, which in anyone's books at the moment is quite a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And so what do you think explains, is it, do you think it's how authentic your music is that, that has led to you building up, you know, a proper fan base? This isn't just a fan base of people, you know, streaming your music in, in that kind of disposable sense, maybe one or two tracks. This is people who want to buy a physical copy of your album, come to see you live. Um, is that, is, has that been through the word of mouth going all the way back to when you were playing 100 cap venues? I don't know. Like, I can honestly tell you that I give 100% at every single show that I go to and that I feel my strongest, my strongest asset is my live show and we try and make it as explosive and make the atmosphere as magical as we possibly can and keep the energy high. And really, it's a, like it's a feel-good show. Every time we do a show, it's about, you know, making people feel something or making people laugh. And I think that's why people come back because I leave going, oh, my God, that was so fun. Like, it looked like everybody had a great time. And if you leave somewhere and you think, that was really great, it's like going to a good restaurant. Like, you know, you go back if it's good. If you're in the area, you're going to... Oh yeah, that's where I got that great pasta. I'm going to go back and get that again. Yeah, yeah. The same sure. business model is give 110 percent at no more cost to you. It it doesn't, you know, it's like a the service of that it doesn't cost you anything. And be as really just be the best that you can be. And fingers crossed, that's going to be a really high level of service to other people. And what, what have your experiences in America been like um, when, when you go out there? It's amazing. It, we're doing, it took me a really long time to get out there because I like, he was telling me about that search for people that I trust and 
people that I wanted to work work with it took me ages to get a really good manager and so I it took me a while to get out there about three years ago was my first tour in America you started doing the same thing again 100 people 200 people 300 people so like there's no shortcut because there's nobody putting magic money in my in my piggy bank so we have to just go and do what we do so now we're like I think it's like three or four hundred cat places Wow. And it's always really well received. And do you know what? I've played shows in the States it, in the last three years to like 10 people. And I come home and play shows till in the academies and sometimes bigger. And actually like that contrast is wonderful because you get a taste of how it used to feel. Yeah. And that's more... I know our artists who do great here, they smash the UK, but this is a tiny country, a tiny country where success is actually quite limited and they refuse, they refuse to go and play a tiny show somewhere else. Why? Just because it hurts their ego? Yeah, it's, it's, it's offensive. It's offensive that, you know, some, some one of, you know, huge, a whole continent couldn't have uh, discovered their talent. And when you go to America, whereabouts do you, do you go? Do you go all over the place? Literally everywhere. Everywhere from New York to we've played California. We've, we've played Florida, um, the Midwest, Illinois, uh, literally everywhere. We play um, Canada too. Wow. And, and have you been all over the world as well? Yeah, but the last show I did before lockdown was in Mexico in Puerto Vallarta. I played Switzerland. I love playing in Germany, France, um, Norway. Yeah, it's amazing. I haven't been to Asia yet, which I would really love to do. Yeah, well, I'm sure you will. Um, it's in- incredibly inspiring. So, so your your new your new single, sober. Um, what you know, was it easy for you to write a- a- about becoming sober? Was it? That was really clear cut for me because it's actually not not. It's not that often that I know what I feel until I start writing it. And then I'm like, oh, God, I've just had to get involved with that emotion. And that's a bit deep. But with that, I'd already made the decision to be sober. And I wanted to uh, sort of like immortalize that exact feeling that I had at that point. And sort of the way that I do that, the way that I capture those memories is to put it into a song. Well, I, th- I think... Uh... You know, that's just kind of the icing on the cake, the fact that you're, you know, inspiring more people now with uh, with your sobriety. Uh, so, you know, I wish you well in that sense and I hope you can continue staying sober because it is a challenge, I know from personal experience. So my final question for you, Lucy, is as this is the greatest music of all time podcast, you know, who who for you are the greatest artists? You know, who, who, who are the artists that are, have the most sentimental meaning for you? I'd say Black Alicious one of the best rappers of all time, along with Tupac and Biggie. And I can't decide which which is the best. Sometimes slightly leaning towards Biggie. And then, in a country sense, Don McLean and Kirsty McCall are probably two of the best writers uh, to have existed. Eva Cassidy as well. I mean, I'm just throwing a load of people out here now, but <laughs> you catch the drift. 